good morning, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Rebel News Daily Livestream. I'm your host, Sheila Gunn-Reed, and I am joined by my co-host, Tamara Ugolini. Tamara, I'm very excited to be co-hosting with you today. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, likewise. It's been quite a while, so it's always fun to get fresh new faces and new takes on things. I have no idea why the lighting is so odd and so terrible in here. I look like I have a sunburn, but I'm strongly committed to the sunscreen use. So I don't know what's going on in here. So just bear with me, everybody. It's 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 not you. It's me. I don't know what's going on. Um, and I am flying, frankly, a little bit blind today because I'm filling in for Ezra Levant. So I was sort of um, recording things and then working on my monologue. And then uh, I just threw a hoodie over so that I wasn't like overly dressed up for the for the live stream, it's, it's a different Sheila that you get on the live stream than when she's trying to fill in for Ezra Levant. So um, Tamara, I'll trust you to sort of lead us through some of these conversations. Really, I don't even know what the topics are. I'm just sort of looking out of the corner of my eye, but normally I'm far more prepared. I should tell everybody what we're doing here um, before I um, set myself up for failure. So this Do you is, want me to take that over, Sheila, and you can have a quick look over our itinerary? Uh, it's okay. Cause I think the first thing is something I wrote. So that's good because we have a serial killer loose quite possibly in Ontario. And, um, I, I think it's really interesting because nobody's talking about the big, the big thing in the middle of it. So, um, we are currently streaming on YouTube. Although if we start talking about things that might run afoul of YouTube's censorship laws, and since I'm joined by Tamara Ugolini, strong possibility there, uh, <laughs> uh she's our, uh, COVID statistics nerd. Um, so, and I mean that in the kindest of ways. Um, but if we do sort of get into the red zone, rather than have them or give YouTube the pleasure of nuking our 1.5 million subscriber channel. We'll just cut the feed. But the good news is we're streaming on Getter. We're also streaming on Rumble and Odyssey. And on Rumble and Odyssey, you can support the work that we do completely willingly uh, by leaving us a paid chat. On Rumble, it's called a Rumble Rant. On Odyssey, it's called a Hyper Chat. If you send us one of those, we will do our best to read it on air. And we will also make a commitment right now to do our best to read the first half of them during the first half of the show instead of just waiting till the end. So if you uh, chat with us early, um, we'll try to get to your comments early too so that there's not a big like 20 minutes of just us reading chats at the end. I think that's probably the best way to do it. Am I right? I'm not sure. We'll find out the hard way. Um, well, do and we, I was maybe, going to say, Sheila, too, that maybe we should leave that one, that first story that you had there to the end so that if we do have to get off of YouTube, that we can spend a great deal of our time already on it. And then we can kind of spend the last maybe 10, 15 minutes or so talking about some COVID nitty gritty stuff that isn't necessarily YouTube safe, but we can continue our chat on to uh, Rumble, uh, Getter or the other platforms that you already mentioned. What do you think about that? Uh, I think we can probably get to this very first one about the serial killer, because I, I think I can do this without questioning the science, um, which apparently uh, is constantly evolving. And the only person allowed to change their mind about the science is the public health officers. And we have to wait patiently for them to change their mind before we can change their mind. Because as you know, according to big tech, they're much smarter than all of us. Let's go to this first story, if you wouldn't mind, uh, Olivia or Efron. I think it's Olivia today in studio. So if you got all your news from the mainstream media, you would just know, maybe yesterday, you might've heard that a doctor in Ontario was charged in the deaths of three elderly patients. 
Now, going back a little, Dr. Brian Nadler or Nadler, he was originally charged in another death way back last March um, in the death of an uh, 89-year-old Albert Poydinger. I think I'm saying that right. So he was originally charged after they had a COVID outbreak at the hospital. And then a bunch of old people started to die, which happened during COVID outbreaks. But a whistleblower, I don't know the extent to which the whistleblower said things, but things were said, which prompted the hospital to their credit, to call in the police. And soon thereafter, they started an investigation into five suspicious deaths. Uh, First charge was um, last year. Now three more charges. There's still sort of one that they're still investigating. And just as a side note here, this guy who was initially charged with first degree premeditated murder, he got out on bail like right away after, well, not right away, like two months in jail, which is, um, you know, can pretty odd considering how they really wanted to keep Tamara Leach in jail for mm-hmm. public mischief or counseling to commit mischief, which is the crime of saying, Hey, come on, do that stupid thing. It'll be cool. <laughs> That's a crime now in Canada. But then yesterday afternoon, this doctor was, charged three more times with the deaths of an 80-year-old, a 79-year-old, and a 93-year-old. Here's the interesting part. The cluster of deaths were first attributed to a COVID-19 outbreak at the facility that was declared March 25th, 2021. So, and then previous reported by CBC News indicated that medications used to treat COVID-19 patients at an Eastern Ontario hospital are part of the murder investigation into Dr. Brian Nadler. Now, this guy, he was one of those like stay home to stay safe doctors, and he was trying to get international attention by saying it. I think he tweeted at um, Ryan Reynolds um, about uh, COVID-19 and um this Dr. Brian Nadler, he was saying, I'm a frontline physician in Canada requesting you and everybody you can tell to uh, tell your fans and followers to self-isolate immediately. We do not have enough ventilators for even the young and healthy. Well, who weren't at all at risk, (laughs) who weren't at all at risk, but is that why this guy allegedly, and I'm saying allegedly here took it upon himself to um, euthanize the old people because he was so caught up in this, like, oh my God, we don't have enough equipment for the young people. So let's get these old people out of the way. Yeah. Nobody's talking about that. Well, and I found it really interesting that no one directly names the medication used to treat COVID-19. And I suspect that that may have been remdesivir. And we know that remdesivir has a laundry list of adverse effects, one of which is uh, organ liver failure. And, you know, I, I have met a lot of people who claim that their elderly grandparents or parents who were in hospital due to um, or with COVID-19 were given this medication and then they saw a very speedy decline in their health, which ultimately led to their unfortunate passing. Now, whether that was, you know, directly COVID related or due to this medication that had been prescribed and has continues to be prescribed to patients Um, I wasn't able to see anywhere in any of those reports if that was, in fact, the medication associated with what happened here. But I would not be surprised if it was. Yeah, I I have no idea that 
I just was able to find that one instance as I was like, oh my goodness, there's a serial killer and I haven't been paying attention because usually I'm like, serial killers? Let's find out everything you can find out about them, Sheila. And I was like, there's one right using the, apparently, allegedly using the guise of COVID to commit his alleged crimes. Um, I thought this is like the intersection of the two things that I'm most interested in right now. And uh, I was just, I could find that one hint that COVID medications were involved in all of this, um, but they've never, ever named the um, named the medication. And from what I could understand, uh, find digging around on like the, the BMJ had published an article about him um, that he had been pretty prickly in the past. Um, a few complaints filed against yeah. him. He had a specific interest in geriatric medicine and he had only been really practicing for one year and he was under like a, a restricted license. So he had to practice under the supervision of a more senior and experienced doctor. So um Apparently they caught him pretty quick if he did do this. And again, if he did do this, but he was, the outbreak was declared on the 25th and then he was arrested, I think on the 29th of March. Now, what came first, the chicken or the egg, you know, like what came first, the alleged murders that were then declared a COVID outbreak or did a COVID outbreak happen? And then alleged murders were sort of hidden within it the always, COVID outbreak. It always makes me question too, you know, were there other instances of this happening elsewhere? Is this an isolated incident or, you know, could some of this malpractice? I mean, we know that for instance, in America and in North America, that the medical malpractice is the third leading cause of death. And so it always makes me question whether or not this happened on a broader scale. I mean, one of my very first rebel investigations where I filed access to information requests that are still being filibustered was in May, uh, sorry, in August of 2020, when a nursing home, Pinecrest Nursing Home in Bob Cage in Ontario, lost 50% of their residents. So they were a small long-term care nursing home, approximately 68 residents. They lost half of their residents in a two and a half week period due to COVID-19. But what we found in the investigation was that staff were not showing up for their shifts. And so these poor elderly patients, the elderly, the most elderly, the most senior of the elderly were left in squalor and neglect. And um, I have some suspicions there as to what actually unfolded, which is why we have a freedom of information request in, which all of our viewers at home can chip in to offset the cost of at rebelinvestigates.com. And uh, I had some interesting communications with the care home itself uh, that, con that did not... Uh, that they weren't in alignment with what the freedom of information request was coming back, that there was no responsive records or communication that took place. But I have it in an email that actually they claim that there was. So a lot of really fishy handlings of geriatric patients, both in hospital and in long-term care. And uh, as sad as it is, it does not surprise me. And I wonder how many more there may be moving forward as maybe hopefully more whistleblowers come forward. Because if I under if I read correctly there, it was a whistleblower that came forward with this particular Dr. Nadler. And that's how the whole thing kind of came to fruition. Yeah, and, and thankfully it happened quite quickly, but this idea of medical professionals hiding their crimes um, by uh, 
for example, David has done some stories on this uh, about Elizabeth Wetlawfer. She was an Ontario nurse not all that long ago. I think she was convicted of murdering or killing, I should say, uh, 14 victims either killed or injured by her actions. She's described as one of the worst serial killers in Canadian history. And most people don't know her name. She was a nurse. Um, she murdered eight senior citizens and attempted to murder six others in Southwestern Ontario. She was a geriatric nurse. And mm -hmm. so, you know, these sorts of angel of death kind of, uh, serial killers that use medicine as their pretext for getting rid of our old people. Um, they love working in nursing homes. And so when COVID is coming along to hide your crimes, um, you know, I, I would not be surprised if there's more of this stuff out there. Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks for writing that up, Sheila. What a, yeah. ugh, what a disgusting unfolding there for the people who you're supposed to trust the most. Um, speaking of people who you're supposed to trust, our Prime Minister <laughs> Justin Trudeau, who is finally back from his Costa Rican vacay in the middle of our beautiful Canadian summer. He was jet-setting across the globe to Costa Rica. So he's back now and his itinerary for today is that he has three photo ops. So it sounds like a really busy, hectic day for our beloved leader. Um, he's visiting a local farm. <laughs> Sheila, do you have a comment on what Justin Trudeau might be doing at a local, a local farm in Quebec? I can't even believe this guy's itinerary, by the way. Like he starts his work day at 11 a.m. Like farmers are up with the chickens. He rolls up to the farm at 11 a.m. to visit a local farm. He's probably going to tell them, uh, kill those three cows, keep those seven cows and quit using fertilizer. I'm sure that's what he's going to say. <laughs> um, then he's going to ask to see if the tractor is electric, but he shows up at 11 at a local farm, pooled photo opportunity. So no scrum, no opportunity for questions. And you know what? The media are completely going to go along with this. They're going to be like, perfect. Let's get a sexy picture of him hanging off a tractor. And they're totally going to do that. And then obviously then he'll go for lunch um, after putting in about 17 solid minutes of posing. He'll go for lunch. And then from there, he'll go to another farm of sorts, a local wind turbine manufacturing facility by 1145 in the afternoon. Once again, just a photo opportunity. Uh, we'll see him posing beside a big wind turbine blade um, looking, I don't know, possibly quite Zoolander-ish and no questions, of course. And then he'll go and have a nap. And once he gets out of his nap, then he will go to a local rolling stock retrofitting facility, which I have no idea what that is. If somebody knows, please chat it to us. Um, it's like I, a locomotive, it, like it's trains and stuff. Oh, 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 okay. And then notes for media, guess what? Pooled photo opportunity. Again, no questions. Just Justin Trudeau doing his best um, male model impersonation the whole day in between snacks and naps. Great. And starting his work day at 11. Wonderful. And wrapping her up by 3.15. Good job. Hard day's Thanks, work. Minister. Yeah. We're paying him for this. He reminds, it kind of reminds me your, your little run through of his itinerary. Really? I, I got a visual there of mad TV Stewie, you know, look what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> and just picturing, you know, that mental picture of Trudeau with a wind turbine posing beside it, you know, look what I can do. And I'm the most virtuous person because 
we wasted all this energy to build this giant wind turbine that will literally never decompose, but will only maybe last us like 25 to 50 years. And we'll hope that there's enough wind to actually utilize its power generation. If there's not, well, then no power for you, plebs, but I'll be over in Costa Rica eating and dining under the stars. Yeah, no, we can uh, we can erect that wind turbine, and if there's no wind, and the thing about wind turbines is, if there's no wind, they don't work. If there's too much wind, they don't work. You know what works all the time? Fossil fuels. And so when <laughs> when the wind turbines don't work, then we have to buy fossil fueled electricity from the United States. In Alberta, we buy it from Montana and Wyoming, even though we sit on the same coal seam. They generate their electricity using the same coal seam as us, same coal as us, same molecular composition, they get to create electricity with it and then sell it back to us when our wind turbines don't work. It's gross. Yep. Stupid. Thank you, Canada and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau for prioritizing the uh, energy independence of Canadians. Um, there, speaking of more Justin Trudeau liberal failures, there was an article out by, uh, I forget who, I think Sun, the Toronto Sun. Lori Goldstein, uh, the, at the Toronto Sun. Yes, the CCTB, so that's the Canada Child Tax Benefit Program, is actually only helping middle to upper class individuals and is really leaving behind the lower class that it was touted and said to be helping the most behind. Uh, so the study was done by the Fraser Institute. I guess it costs Canadian taxpayers $25.2 billion just this year alone. And uh, they found that based on Statistics Canada data, the study concluded that families with an annual income under $60,000 annually experience a reduction in the share of total spending, a drop from 42, so almost 43% under the old programs to 29.7% under the Canada Child Tax Benefit, which was adjusted for its tax-free status. And then by contrast, in the next paragraph, it says that families with income between 60 thousand and one hundred eighty thousand dollars a year experienced an increase in their share of spending from 49.2 percent under the old programs to 66.8 percent under the new program so those are pretty hefty differences there especially when you look at the increase for those families in the upper earning bracket compared to the decrease experienced by the families making under sixty thousand dollars a year i mean i don't even know how you could be buying groceries and paying rent on an income like that when you have children. I mean, that is basically, in my opinion, right at that poverty level, given the rate of inflation. Um, so this is just another epic failure by this government. And I don't know how much longer we can sustain some, you know, these, these repeated offenses and failures to the Canadian public and the population. Yeah. And I think the worst part of all of this is, Something wasn't broke, so the liberals broke it. Um, they took this. They took their program and replaced two previous programs that were created under Harper. And the liberals wanted to put their stamp on helping families, and so they took away those other programs and then dropped their own in on top of it. And as it turns out, their programs aren't working, or at least they're not designed to help the people they say they are. As the liberals like to say, we're helping the middle class and people working hard to join it. Are you? 
because you're giving money to your rich friends who can afford their kids while you simultaneously make life even more expensive for everybody else through your carbon tax, your out of control spending, which is causing inflation to skyrocket. And then don't get me started on immigration targets, which is causing a housing crunch. Um, they've never done any, ex look, I'm, I'm pro-immigration. I'm pro-immigration, let me say that. But across the board, every political party, even the NDP, once you present them with what the immigration targets actually are every single year, they say, oh, that seems like a lot. Maybe we should slow down because if we want immigrants to be successful and if we want society to catch up and make sure that there is enough housing, enough hospitals, enough schools for everybody we are admitting to our country, maybe we need to slow this down so that everybody is set up for success. And it doesn't matter what party you're in. If you show people those immigration targets, they say, ah, that's a little high. The liberals have never, ever, ever, and we have atipped this, they've never done any analysis on what those immigration targets are doing to the cost of housing. Because you, it's fine, bring in all these immigrants, but where are you going to put them? And we're only building so many houses every single year, which drives the cost of housing up for everybody else including the immigrant, by the way. So, um, you know, there's all these liberal policies that are making just being alive in Canada so expensive. And uh, apparently the only people they're helping are the rich friends. Which just speaks to, you know, liberal privilege, which I always like to go back to, is that you can see just to, even on the lawn signs, who has liberal lawn signs out traditionally? And there are these nice, well-maintained. No one in Alberta. <laughs> the answer is no one here. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes, we're in Ontario. I'm in Ontario, so uh, that's yeah, that's that's unfortunate. But uh, I think that we're going to do a quick ad before we get into yes. maybe some super chats. Uh, I think there's a couple banked already. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> like their merch the lovely, it's so good yeah the lovely cat and that their sweater um with the little misunderstood i want to get one of those ones i had one i just took it when i was in toronto last time and then i came home my daughter just took it so i guess i i get what i had coming <laughs> so there you go around, it's also around <laughs> it's also popular with the teens there you go Yes. Uh, let's get to some of these chats. Adam Ottawa gives us a buck and says, Sheila, let's blame your red color today on climate change. Apparently you can blame everything on climate change, including uh, having fat kids. <laughs> it's, it's climate change that they don't want to go play outside. It's not the PlayStation you bought them or the craft dinner you feed them. Um, it's climate change. It's not Nabisco. It's not Kellogg's. I don't know who ever thought that cereal was a health food. But anyway, it's it's not any of their faults. It's your SUV. So I guess at the end of the day, it is your fault that your kids are fat. It's just, it has to go through the hands of the atmosphere first instead of just 
through your pantry. I think the cereal <laughs> manufacturers are probably the one that thought it was a health food. They're like, yeah, let's push this fast, convenient, sugar-filled junk on families and mothers burdened with trying to manage everyone's life and be a personal secretary and chauffeur and work at the same time. And here you go. It's health. Yep. Yeah. And uh, uh, so let's blame the liberals a little bit too, by the way, making life so expensive that moms have to work full time um, and not allowing them to income split. Um, society would be a lot better. Kids would be, probably be a lot healthier if life was a little more affordable. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Here, here. Um, AMT60 gives $1. Thank you. I'm 61 in January when I was really sick and had to be put on a vent for 11 Ooh. days. Before the vent, I was asked if I would take remdesivir, and I refused. My GP said, I'm the only severe patient of his that survived. Well, there you have it. A nice little anecdotal evidence, piece of evidence that um, remdesivir could potentially lead to more harm than good. Yes, I, I'll i defer to you on remdesivir. I don't really know anything about it. Um but I'm surprised that you were on the ventilator for 11 days and you're fine. Usually mm -hmm. when you go on a ventilator, it is, your chances aren't great. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy uh, to see that you're okay. Um, yes. Congrats AMT 60. On yes. uh, staying alive. <laughs> That's all I ever wanted to do was to stay alive and be left alone. <laughs> with the government. The government has other plans for me. Uh, let's go to, sorry, I'm just bumping. I just, uh, oh, we had a new up. one here, but we didn't, it didn't come through our chat, Olivia, if you can just send that to us in the chat so we can read it on our screens first. Um, but we'll go to, yeah, some, some negotiations or the negotiations that were said to have been ready and able to take place before the Justin Trudeau liberals, Justin Trudeau himself, invoked the Emergencies Act back in uh, February to deal with the Freedom Convoy that had taken to the nation's capital for three straight weeks in protest of the government's COVID-19 response. We have a clip here that we'll just show quickly of the negotiator, uh, Dean, Dean French. I don't have his and yes. Dean French. And just so everybody knows who Dean French is, he's not some uh, wild-eyed convoy wingnut, by the way, um, as the mainstream media would have you believe. I think he was the chief of staff for Doug Ford. So that should tell you where he falls down on this issue. Um, so uh, he is obviously, I mean, a conservative, but he did also work for Doug Ford. So he's not some radical libertarian um, who, you know, doesn't believe in taxes and hates the government. He literally worked for the government. So uh, we do have a clip of Dean French, who was one of the negotiators, along with Keith Wilson, who was the lawyer for the convoy. Comes to light that there is an agreement on the Sunday, and we know there's a cabinet meeting that follows, and that's what I kind of preface the interview with, right? So, so in when when Jody Thomas, the national security advisor, is telling the government there is the potential for a breakthrough, is it your assessment that that potential she's talking about is the negotiations that you were going like this is the breakthrough? Did you feel there's yeah. a breakthrough, and how do you define yeah. breakthrough? So I define the breakthrough, and and I think the word should have been there is an agreement because Tamara's own words in in her letter. It's a one-page letter from the mayor, one-page letter from Tamara. Very easy to pick up on. Her final uh, quote was, we will be doing our best to start on Monday, which they did. So, yeah, to answer your question, yes, that's they had to be referring to that. 
But again, it was five hours before the meeting. It was pretty clear. I'm surprised the wording from the security advisor to the prime minister and the cabinet, I'm surprised it wasn't a little bit more direct. The mayor has an agreement, quote unquote. So so here's where uh, I think I can challenge the idea that it's a breakthrough, and I, and I want to hear your response to it. First of all, we know that um, Pat King, another organizer, immediately denounced that agreement and said, stand your ground uh, in a video, I think that was posted on social media. Tamara Leach at the time then said, there isn't agreement, the media is lying. And then later, you know, did did say that walked there is one, right? Yeah, walked it back. So there is some confusion there. And then the next day, uh, when the, the act was actually invoked, um, I don't have an exact count, but not all the trucks were moved from residential areas, right? It started to, as you, as you correctly point out, but certainly I, I remember watching live reports where they were talking to people saying, we're not going. So you have two things going on there that would cast a lot of doubt on whether there actually is a breakthrough kind of lending support to the government's position. What's your response to that? First of all, I think it's the key question of the whole thing. And during the upcoming inquiry, that's going to be asked in a big, big way. So my response to that is that, yes, there was some walkbacking and some clarity that need to take place. There was, you can speak to that group. I was the mediator, I wasn't taking sides. I know in politics that sometimes other people work other people's Twitter accounts. I'm not sure that happened in that case, but let's get back to what we're really focused on. Regardless, that message regardless. went out to support. So regardless, I'm, I'm a little surprised that, you know, being a former chief of staff, we never direct the police. And so I wasn't, I didn't make a single call as a mediator to the police. But I'd love to know what the Ottawa police had as a number, because I had as a number on Monday, dozens of trucks, two blocks, dozens of trucks got out of there. That might seem like a small amount, but when you're coordinating a group that's been sort of on side, different sides for a couple of weeks. The fact, kudos to the law enforcement and to the truckers that day for getting dozens out. We need to get the official account that's gonna come out in the inquiry. But this is my point. Why wouldn't Trudeau's cabinet have waited on the Sunday night to say, Mayor Watson, a very credible, respected mayor, has an agreement. Let's just wait two or three days to see if this peaceful resolution works. If it doesn't, if it's not real, then let's put down the hammer. But this was this is a black mark on Canadian history. History will show this was a total overreaction, in my opinion, and the inquiry is going to show that as well. Okay, I think that's good right there. Um, to Mary, you just put the same sort of uh, comment into our Slack chat as I did. Uh, you put in the Freedom Convoy's response to uh, Jim Watson. Now, I got no affection for Jim Watson. I think he's one of the worst mayors if not the worst mayor in this entire country. And I'm including Edmonton and Calgary in the mix there and possibly Toronto. I think those are really the worst. Um, Jim Watson, so uh, the Freedom Convoy started negotiating with Jim Watson, who was out of the other side of his mouth, banging the drum, demanding a crackdown on the Freedom Convoy. Um, I want to know what Jim Watson's communications were with the federal government, and I'm going to A-tip them. If I haven't already, I lose track of how many I file. Um, but I think it's all going to come out in the Emergencies Act uh, inquiry that's coming up. But um, Jim Watson has got a signed agreement here um, with uh, the Freedom Convoy. He CC'd Keith Wilson, the lawyer for the convoy, and he says... Uh, in his, uh, I look forward to your protest movement meaningfully delivering on these steps as a show of goodwill towards our community. Once there is clear evidence that you have delivered on these commitments, I'm prepared to meet with you in a timely fashion. Uh, a copy of this letter has been provided to your legal counsel. And then the convoy writes back to Jim Watson, again, signed by Tamara Leach and CC'd 
uh, to Keith Wilson. The Freedom Convoy Board agree with your request to reduce pressure on the residents and businesses in the city of Ottawa. We made a plan to consolidate our protest efforts around Parliament Hill. We'll be working hard over the next 24 hours to get buy-in from the truckers. We hope to start repositioning our trucks on Monday. And this is on February 12th. So I just want to see what... Yeah, I'm just going back to February 12th was the Saturday. And so, so on Monday was the 14th. And that's the day that we know now, we know that Justin Trudeau invoked the Emergencies Act. So they gave her no time. They gave her no time. They had a deal reached. She was getting the trucks to move. And instead, Justin Trudeau moved to seize bank accounts, crackheads, and arrest peaceful protesters, just like Hugo Chavez. Like, this is crazy. Um, I cannot wait for the Emergencies Act inquiry. I can't wait for it. Yeah. And when does it start, Sheila? Is it sometime in October uh, 14th, is it? We Because we will be providing very close coverage of that. I think there will be a team assembled specifically to cover the convoy um, inquiry. And yeah, I, I hope I very much like you look forward. Uh, oh, it starts September 19th. Okay. So I think September it's supposed to be wrapped to, up. Um, by October 28th. And you yeah. better believe Rebel News is going to be there in full force. We're going to be there in Ottawa. We all have journalists on the scene. We're going to be providing daily updates. I think we're probably going to live stream um, many of the hearings if we are able to. Um, they have said it's going to be open and transparent. Now, I don't know how much uh, I believe that considering the federal government's involved. So they might have their hand selected journalists on the inside, but we'll grab the live stream and we'll make sure that nobody can go in or out of that building without seeing a rebel journalist smiling faces there to ask them questions. What a time to be alive. I'm so excited uh, for the rebel team to be covering that in depth on the ground and uh, factually, because, yeah, we can't, the government, uh, the Justin Trudeau government cannot continue to get away with these sorts of injustices. Um, I'm really glad that there's been a very big backlash from the Conservatives and even from others who may be of other political stripe that just say, you know what, this was very heavy handed and unjustified, unwarranted, especially now that we get these little crumbs of more information that you know, negotiations were taking place and they were looking to be successful. And uh, Justin Trudeau in his haste just continued anyway as uh, the potential Castro relative that he is. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, who, who are you going to trust to uh, bring you the accurate news of the commission, Rebel News or CBC, who said, you know what, I think these truckers, they couldn't possibly be mad at Justin Trudeau on their own. They're a Russian operation. Who are you going to believe <laughs> us to bring you the news or the CBC who just could not believe that any reasonable Canadian would be outraged with Justin Trudeau and how he's treating other Canadians? Um, Which, of course, leads way into yes. how his government continues to infringe on the rights of Canadians through the Arrive Can app. Uh, so we know that the Arrive Can app has seen massive backlash. I think only 30 to 40 percent of Canadians are even um, complying with the, the mandate. Or maybe I have that opposite. Uh, 30 to 40 percent are not complying with the mandatory download of this government surveillance app. Uh, you can check out our previous reports at noarrivecan.com. We have a petition there. We're onboarding some clients through the registered charity called the Democracy Fund to fight this legally. Uh, but we have a clip here of the safety public safety minister, Mendo Mar Mar 
I always flub on his last name, Marcuccino. Marco um, Mendicino. Mendic- make him up Mendicino. <laughs> he just makes it up as he goes. <laughs> and we also have a firemendicino.com uh, yeah. um, campaign and webpage and petition there too. But we have a clip of him uh, alluding to the fact that the ArriveCan app or perhaps maybe a derivative thereafter of the ArriveCan app is here to stay. Check out this scary speech from the safety minister. Question regarding the ArriveCan app. There's recently been some loosening of uh, restrictions and rules with that, particularly with fully vaccinated visitors not getting a fine anymore if they uh, miss some information or filling out the app. Uh, what can you say about the future of that app with this development and could we potentially see it uh, go away in the near future? Well, I would begin by by noting that the two most essential and relevant questions that ArriveCan poses to all travelers are one, are you vaccinated to a standard that has been approved by Health Canada? And two, are you symptom free? Which are logical, common sense questions that help us to mitigate against the ongoing risks around uh, transmission of 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 the of of COVID uh, in Canada. On a positive note, I think it's great to see that more people are traveling again, and the wheels of the economy are turning faster, and that is a good thing. Um, but we're always going to be open to, to to finding ways to, um, to to make sure that that technology, whether it's in the context of ArriveCan or any other platform, is as efficient as possible. What a liar that guy is. <laughs> I, I've been through the Montreal airport recently. Uh, that guy's a complete and total liar. But, uh, you know, when they say that this stuff doesn't spy on you, I remember when the liberals were like, oh, we're going to make a weather app using Environment Canada data. I'm like, so just like all the other weather apps that are on my phone that I don't have to download from the government? Okay. What's your motive for doing this besides shoehorning like scary climate change facts into your weather data? And as it turns out, eventually they, it came out that they were spying on you because to get your accurate weather data, you need to know where you are. And then they were uh, collecting and keeping the location data of Canadians. And then, you know, you see Medicino give assurances in other interviews about how it's this ArriveCan app, it's totally not going to track you and everything that you do. And it's not going to be invasive government malware into your phone. But this is the same government that just said to the phone companies, give me all the information you have on Canadians location data. We'll pay you for it. Oh, and by the way, can you give it to us dating back to 2019 so that we have uh, a benchmark by which to compare their travel and their location data too. So are they complying in 2020 with our restrictions? Let's look and see what they did in 2019. And the phone companies did it. They just turned it over. They got paid for it. They sold my data to the federal government against my will without telling me or asking my permission and then pocketed the cash for it. And we're all just like, yeah, okay, that's the federal government. Um, So when Mendicino says stuff like this is not going to track other things like your text messages or your anti-government sentiments, (coughs) um, you know, uh, I don't believe him. He's just a liar who makes things up, as we know given that he said repeatedly the police asked for the invocation of the Emergencies Act. The guy just doesn't know when he's lying or telling the truth. Right. And I want to mention, too, that that scooping of of 
private data, personal cell phone data was done in conjunction with the Public Health Agency of Canada. So these are the exact yeah. same overlords who are part and parcel with this Arrive Can app. And recently, uh, conservative dissident Leslin Lewis has come out and alleged basically that the Arrive Can app is almost certainly illegal. So in her press release there, she, you know, says things like the uh, it should only be be used and regulated relegated solely to emergency orders and measures taken under the quarantine act and basically since we're no longer in an emergency that there's no warranted or justified reason to continue with an app like this uh she also says you know part of the app when you download it you have to consent there that your information could be shared with international health organizations and other institutions so you know like the world health organization who knows who else? She also references down there at the very bottom, the KTDI, that's the known, travel, known Traveler Digital Identity. And so that's a WEF partnership in conjunction with the Government of Canada, Air Canada, the, the um, airport in Montreal, the Toronto Pearson International Airport. Um, and she also calls the fines that Canadians are facing for not downloading this very possible government surveillance app um, as being government bullying and harassment. So I really think she's pretty bang on there. And I especially drew that uh, speculation with KTDI. I think that the known traveler digital identity is a very concerning program and partnership. And uh, it's a very slippery slope to privacy infringements. And so this really, to me, just screams that it's paving the way to have that implemented on just a massive national scale. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, did you also, when you pay attention to Mendicino there, he says, you know, you have to be able to prove um, that you are vaccinated to a standard that the government determines and that you are also non-symptomatic, which is an admission that, being vaccinated to the standard by which the government determines is not um, any sort of prophylactic against catching COVID-19, obviously, since we just saw that Omar al-Jabra, he also, after four jabs, he's down with um, COVID, which, I mean, he could be down with COVID, he could be pulling a Trudeau and just taking a break, who knows. It's so funny when you see on Twitter, they all have to toe this line. I think I recently just shared it, actually. If, it's um, a script, Olivia. isn't it? Yeah, like, I'm so thankful I had my 17th booster, but I still tested positive for COVID, and I'm faring so well, it's mild, and I'll continue to follow all the public health advice that I've been following this whole time, but I still catch the seasonal respiratory virus that I said that I would be protected and safe from if I did all the things that I'm going to continue to do. It's just like the mental gymnastics that you have to go through to try to reach that same conclusion. Yeah. And then you see all of these officials and um, influencers parroting the exact same words. Yeah. I mean, it just lends into the fact, and I've covered this before in my reports, that there's behavior modification techniques and mind control techniques that are being instituted here on the population, largely unbeknownst to them. And so if you're not aware, if you're not critically thinking, if you're not consciously involved with researching things independently, you will fall for this stuff hook, line and sinker because it's a coordinated, orchestrated yeah. campaign 
on behalf of the pharmaceutical industry, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a lot. And it's a script. Like they have to say the thing when they get mm-hmm. COVID. And I think I tweeted something along the lines of like when Albert Bourla or whatever, the Pfizer CEO, when he got COVID after I think four boosters or whatever it was, some enormous yeah. amount of boosters. And I tweeted a joke like, oh, basically saying it, but if you were like the CEO of Trojan condoms, like you would not take, you would question the efficacy of Trojan (laughs) condoms. If the CEO said something like, oh, I wore four condoms during the act of impregnating my wife and she's now pregnant with twins, but for sure it would have been triplets if I didn't wear all four. You would be like, no, those things didn't work. And how would you know that she would be (laughs) pregnant with triplets, right? Like, how would you know that it would be worse? Although like having two babies versus three, that's a blessing, not a bad thing. But, you know, like, how would you, how would you know if it would be worse or better if you took the thing that didn't work, right? Like, this was my stupid joke. Uh, If the responding as though I were the CEO of Trojans. I'd like to let you know that my wife is pregnant. I'm thankful to have worn four Trojan condoms during the act of conception, if not for the first two condoms and the two, I call them booster condoms. Uh, My wife would be having triplets instead of just twins. If the CEO of Trojan said that, you'd be like, no, those things don't work. And also, how would you know that she would be pregnant with triplets? That's a, a conclusion you absolutely cannot draw. But when they draw it at Pfizer, we're like, yep, definitely, 100%, definitely, for sure. Yep, good for you taking all those things that didn't work. Uh, as more, as more comes out, I'm just so thankful to be on this side of history where you're just pointing out the utter nonsense. Um, now I think we have some more super chats here. Uh, let me just click back and we'll try to get through some of them because we have a few topics and two more ads to cover before we're done for the day. Um, Paul Otto Newman gives $1. Thank you. U.S. Representative Stefanik officially calls on Canadian government to scrap the Arrive Can app. I haven't seen that there. I guess that's, is that a little clip there that we, um, we could maybe play or is it just a post? It's it's just a letter. It's, it's just a letter, but maybe someone from the web team could write that up as a news article. Cause I think that's important. Um, we have all these Americans looking at Canada with horror. It started off with Josh Hawley when he said that, um, maybe we should be on a religious freedom watch list. And I was like, yeah, probably yes. like, literally, probably we probably should, we have it coming. And now, um, we've got another representative saying that they should end the required use of the arrive can app because all it does is track you. They literally don't care about anything else. All it does is track your information. Um, we've got uh, Adam Ottawa gives us a buck. I'm reading the Freedom Convoy book um, from our friend Andrew Lawton. Uh, it was a bestseller on Amazon weeks before it was even released because people were thirsty for the truth. And I actually mm-hmm. learned that there's a group called LGB Tory. Yes, that's true. Um, they used to be quite active at the conservative party conventions and um, just a bunch of normal conservatives who happened to be gay, who are like the government has no business in our lives. And I'm like, you know what? I agree. <laughs> I agree. Generally speaking. Thank you. Um, maybe I can find some like-minded folks. Yeah. There's, there's quite a few of them out there. And frankly um, I have some friends who are conservatives, but also gay and Um, When you think about people who don't have little tax deductions like kids, um, perhaps our uh, 
perhaps, you know, like we could be reaching out a little bit more to, um, you know, the people in the quite normal non-activist LGBT movement and saying, Hey, you don't have any tax deductions. I bet you hate taxes. Me too. Get on over here <laughs> for conservatives. So there, there's some outreach to be done there. Uh, Canadian mom, 1997 gives us five bucks. Are people who were born in 1997 having children? This upsets me greatly. <laughs> anyway, let's, uh, let's keep going. Five bucks. Can we talk about the Edmonton woman being denied a transplant because she didn't want to be jabbed? You know what? Um, Sid, Fizard actually did a, an interview with her and her lawyer about two weeks ago, and he's reached out to the lawyer again now, now that a judge has ruled that she absolutely has no chance of getting that transplant unless she gets uh, the COVID vaccination. But and the campaign you there, you can, Burla. you can find his reports and keep up to date too at Organs Not Coercion. Dot com. I think there's a petition. Yeah, there's a petition there. Um, it's doing pretty well, but I uh, think that Sid will probably have a follow-up there if you check out that website, organsnotcoercion.com. Yep. There it's it is. Outrageous. There she is. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, and this isn't the first story like this we've covered. Uh, Alexa has covered a lady in Quebec. Um, you can see that story at, I think it's savejoanny.com. Again, She's got, um, uh, I think it was a lung disease, and she's been denied a vac. She's been denied a transplant because she's not vaccinated. It's terrible. If we also I die, have is this. Well, hang on. Let me put this on the record. If I die and somebody needs my organs, I insist they they be given to whomever they need whoever needs my organs and not whoever meets the vaccination criteria to get my organs. So many people now. have just removed themselves from the organ donation list completely because they don't agree with the unethical way this whole thing has been handled. Um, so that's, that's really unfortunate. And there's some, some sketchy things that happen with organ donation too. If anyone's ever gone down that medication rabbit hole, but, um, but I know that there was a, a big backlash that the organ donation people received when they instituted this. And as you can see, it's, they have not backpedaled at all. They've held really firm to this unscientific stance that is coercing people into life-saving treatment. I mean, how does anyone ever ra even rationalize, begin to rationalize that doing something like this to these desperate people who have literally paid into this healthcare system for their entire life. That's the yep. other thing. This is socialized medicine in full effect. We can see it on display now. This, you have no choice whether or not you pay into this system. And then when it comes time to actually need something to utilize a system that you've funded for your whole working life, well, sorry, if you're not vaccinated, then no organs for you. It's terrible. I'm, I'm putting it on the record right now. If I die, part me out like an old minivan. I'm careful about my health. I'm careful about my fitness. I'm careful about the foods I put in my body. All my organs are squishy and red and good. And you can have them. I don't care if you're vaccinated or not. Lucky dogs. We need like a privatized organ donation system where you can connect to others who <laughs> don't care. <laughs> you just need a poster of me with like, like the, the cuts of beef poster but it's like me and you can just pin your name to like my liver my heart you can have my corneas no you don't want my eyes my eyesight's terrible but um 
other parts. The you only can have thing. Them. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, even someone can have my hair. I've got a lot of it. Um, let's uh, finish these last two chats and then we'll move on to, we've got an ad break. And then I want to talk about the Peterborough mayor because yes. oh. I, I said that, um, you know, that other mayor was terrible, but she's, she's pretty bad too. Okay. So AMT 60, one buck. I follow, I follow Laurel and Tyler Thompson from BC. She had an interview with a woman whose son needs a blood transfusion and she's a match hospital. Won't allow her to use her blood. She wants unvaxxed blood. Well, that is odd. Uh, C1CAS gives us five bucks. Hard to believe how powerful Rebel News has become all over the world. All the reporters are true, fearless warriors for the truth. You give us hope and you are all making a huge difference. Bravo. Um, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to make a difference. I think it would be very um, unsatisfying, unfulfilling to be just a regular journalist and not a journalist that shows up to tell the story, but also offers um, some help as we so frequently do or advocate for people. I, I just feel like, um, I don't know, that other form of journalism kind of feels exploitative. I don't know, to just show up, tell the story so that you become more popular. I, I would rather do something where I make a difference every day. And I think we do. It's also very humbling to hearing, you know, people like that who are obviously supporting us, right? Like, they say bravo to us, but I say bravo to you because without yeah. your, you know, $5 donation here and there, we wouldn't be able to keep doing the work yeah. that we do. So I say bravo to all of our rebel supporters because it's through your direct support that we're able to continue doing this important work. And that's something that's very humbling to me is just seeing how much support and people there are willing to <clears throat> contribute to us telling the other side. Uh, of the story. And of course, it's very humbling seeing people who are suffering or who are at the hands of bad policy and being able to, as you mentioned, help them and really try to make a difference in the lives of Canadians. So yeah, it's very humbling. So thank you, everyone uh, from, from myself and my colleagues. Yeah, I said that the other day in our meeting that uh, while we hear the thank yous from the people that we're helping, we're just the vehicle by which the help comes. It really comes directly from our supporters at home. And we're very grateful for that. And I know the people who are on the receiving end of the help, um, you are helping them on their very worst day when they think nobody cares about them, that they're just a normal person and they're just a little guy and help is never going to come. And then we show up and we're like, actually, we have this army of people who care about this issue and they really want to help you and they don't even know you. Um, the moral support these people receive um, is worth yeah. as much as the financial support for sure. Let's go to that ad break on that happy note. Adam Sos here for Rebel News. You know, our company is growing quickly and we'd actually like for your company to grow too. That's why this ad space that I'm speaking through right now is actually available for you to purchase. So instead of people listening to me, they could actually be learning about your company, learning about your business. If this interests you, if this is an opportunity you'd like to capitalize on, send us an email at ads at rebelnews.com. So that could be you in that ad viewer at home. You if go. you've got a company, if you've got an initiative that you want to get in front of the eyeballs of 1.5 million rebel YouTube subscribers on just that platform, but uh, across other platforms too, uh, reach out to us so that we don't show Adam's ad anymore. We show yours instead. Let's go to this horrible mayor. Um, oh gosh. Diane Terrian, who has me blocked on Twitter, although I think I've never interacted with her. It's probably smart to preempt 
actively block me if you're a bad politician. Just, uh, But she defends the use of the F word in response to a weekend protest. Now, before we get into the weekend protest, let me just say I am fundamentally opposed to this weekend protest because I wouldn't even call it a protest. I would actually call this public mischief, and I think that's what people were charged with here. Um, and she sent out this profanity-laced uh, tweet about a weekend protest. Um, Peterborough Mayor Diane Terrian was called on to respond to a scene that unfolded in uh, her city east of Toronto over the weekend. A few dozen people gathered outside the police station after a call from a QAnon conspiracy theorist who purports to be the Queen of Canada for citizens' arrests of local officers. And you'll note here that this cult leader didn't come to arrest anybody. She called on other people to do it because she's a low-liability cult leader, just like Charles Manson. He didn't engage in any of the killings. He directed other people to do it. That's how they keep their hands clean. That's why they build cults of followers. So she told other people to do this, and other people got charged with following her directions. Um which is, I think, actual counseling to commit mischief, but Tamara Leach is in jail, or was. Um, so anyways, Tyrion tweeted her reply. It read, people have been asking for me to comment on the events of this past weekend in Peterborough. I hate giving airtime spotlight to these imbeciles. Here's my comment, F-U-U-F-Wads. And so anyways, this lady, this Queen Romana, I think is her name, she says that the American... Uh, military has named her the Queen of Canada now uh, since the Queen of England was executed. And I think she had her followers raise about $60,000 for her to buy an RV and then go on a tour of Canada. And this leads me to believe that you can generate a, a lucrative cult following with about 250 truly committed members. That's all you really need to be a good cult leader or a, just a cult leader. I don't know if they're good. Um, and they sort of communicate exclusively on Telegram because they're banned from other platforms, which leads to the exclusivity of the club. And it, and it uh, creates that sort of us against them mentality once you get start getting banned from stuff. Um, and I think this woman is a crazy person and she exploits people and she directed other people's desperate grandparents to go to this police station and try to do citizens arrest, which let me tell you right now, don't do it. But I, I'm actually my monologue, uh, because I'm filling in for Ezra Shea is on this topic because, um, I think the Peterborough mayor and politicians like her, this Queen Romana character is their Frankenstein monster. They created it through their failings over the past two years that de desperate people are turning to insane cult leaders because the people who they elected to help them have failed them. The courts have failed them. Politicians have failed them. The news media, they're not holding the politicians to account. The police are arresting peaceful protesters. The world is so crazy that Queen Romana seems normal or at least reasonable. And the politicians have left this void through their own failings that these cult leaders like Queen Romana can just step right into and, and, and inspire people to do citizens' arrests of police officers. And politicians, instead of saying, whoa, 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 people are so desperate they're doing these things, they call them names. There's no introspection. It's only spite, as I said in my tweet.
Yeah, I mean, never mind the fact that call, saying F off you F wads. I mean, that is just so just lacks class in I there were there not any better words that you could have used that had some form of intellectual merit apart from calling someone a, an f wad what even is that and is that really language that a mayor should be using to talk to people who may have not been necessarily residents of Peterborough but I'm sure there were residents of Peterborough involved in that quote-unquote protest that saw queen the the hailed queen just <laughs> slowly back into her her crowdfunded rv instead of partaking in what she had rallied behind allegedly but um but yeah i think what you say there is spot on sheila that these politicians have completely ignored the cries of their constituents for the better part of two and a half years. I mean, one other article that I don't think we'll even be able to get to, so I'm just going to touch on it quickly here, mm -hmm. is, um, oh yeah, there she is retreating into her RV. Oh my gosh. And I saw another video where where the queen came with uh, fresh cut veggies and canned sardines to greet her people. <laughs> was, oh, Sheila, I'll have to send it to you. Um, because <laughs> I was just in utter shock that this could even be seen as even remotely valid. The whole thing is obviously just a sham. And that's the really unfortunate part here is that, yeah, the people who have been completely disregarded and ignored with really valid concerns like this CTV news article, which says that more than half of Canadians, so in there they actually stipulate 56% of Canadians, say the pandemic has negatively impacted their children. So we know, you know, when your food security is at risk, when your livelihood is at risk, and when your children are being negatively impacted by government's COVID-19 response, people are going to be mad. They're going to, to stand up, they're going to be frustrated, and when their concerns, especially when it comes to their children, your most prized um, possession, they're going to be frustrated and when they're disregarded and ignored this is the kind of radicalization that takes place at the hands of these ivory tower sitting elected officials it's disgusting yeah i mean think about how crazy the last two years have been people like think about you couldn't go to church you couldn't bury your dead they were telling you that you couldn't eat inside because you were unvaccinated, you couldn't travel, you couldn't fly. They were telling you how many people you could have in your house. All of a sudden, your work history didn't matter what a loyal or diligent employee you have been. None of it mattered. Your boss only cared if you took some medication you didn't want to take. So times have been so crazy that for some people, is believing Queen Romana any crazier than what they've just lived through? And they've been so isolated because the government isolated them from everyone. And, you know, so when I see politicians like this just being so malicious to these people, all they do is drive more people into the arms of this crazy, crazy woman. Uh, Queen Romana is the Frankenstein monster they stitched together. And now they're upset because this Frankenstein monster is tromping around the town, scaring the villagers. They did this. 
They need to figure out a way to fix it, but they can't because all they know is talk down to people, treat people like garbage, treat them crazy when all they did was drive them crazy. Mm -hmm. Point blank. Yeah, I think that you hit the nail on the head right there. Um, I see now there is 103 though, and I have a few other things I need to get to today. So we have some super chats. We're just going to quickly get through before we sign off for our uh, live stream for the day. We have $1 from Sojourner. Um, Thank you. About the organ donations, I've been toying with the idea of writing to the department and insisting that my organs can only be given to someone who has not been vaccinated for COVID to bring balance to the discrimination. Yeah, definitely. I would love to be CC'd on that communication. (laughs) Keep us in the loop if you decide to go forward with it. Uh, Not to tease gives $5. Thank you. There are way too many Canadian good Germans more than ready to abuse the government specified targets. Rebel is the good news. Well, thank you because I'm part German. Praise Bo gives $5. I just finished making up my sign for our rally this Friday, 6 p.m. Hamilton, 1 Wilson Street. It says hoax, lies, global warming, global cooling, climate change, COVID jab should be fun. You're hitting a lot of the things in one small <laughs> little checking sign. checking a lot of boxes, yeah. <laughs> and then I think the last uh, chat is from Fallacy Gap, 1944, $10. Thank you. Have you read the Corkery Ontario court judgment that refutes COVID jabs as being safe and effective as a judicial notice fact? I have not read that, but I will have a click on. I did see that. This is is a dispute between two parents. Oh, it's gone now. This link doesn't work. Oh, we've got it saved elsewhere. Um, So it's between two parents. The Mom and dad, neither one of them are anti-vaccination. The dad is pro-vaccination. The mom said, I'm not going to force my daughter to do this if she doesn't want it. She's 12. Um, And according to the left, that's old enough to make decisions about your gender. So I think it's old enough to make decisions about vaccines. Although normally I would say, no, kids can't make decisions about their own medical history. These aren't my rules. These are the left's rules. So this is what you get. This So if you want it that way, it's got to be this way too. And uh, I think that dad's lawyer argued that the jabs are safe and effective. And the judge refused to take judicial notice of that saying, well, I, I just can't admit that as fact. I, we're just not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about is this, is the parent is the mom right to not force the daughter to do this regardless of whether they are safe and effective. So that's sort of what happened there. So interesting that a judge said, I'm not going to consider that as uh, something I consider to be true. Maybe yeah, things are finally changing. some common sense, rational uh, feedback from a judge. And yeah, hopefully that's an indication that the tides are turning. Okay. I think um, if uh team in Toronto. If everything is all caught up on the chat side, I think we'll wrap up the show because Tamara is very busy today. I'm filling in for Ezra plus doing all of my regular work. So, um, I think I'm late for a phone call. So, uh, (laughs) thanks everybody. Yes. Thank you everybody, uh, who watches the show today. Thank you everybody in Toronto who works hard to put the show together, including all the back office staff that you don't actually see. They work hard to make sure that the show is available for you to find so that you can watch us and support us. Thank you to everybody who did pitch in to keep the lights on here at rebel news. Uh, every little bit helps and trust me, we are very economical. 
with all of your donations. Uh, Tamara, thanks for hosting with me today. It was fun. I don't get to uh, do a lot of on-air work with you, so I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm not sure who's on tomorrow, but definitely we do have a show. And as David Menzies always says, stay sane. So expensive to buy for everything her. these days. I'm broke. <laughs> I'm, I'm dead. Like it's just getting a little crazy or ridiculous. I think it's logical that the prices are up. I think it makes sense. Recession is coming for sure. Because yeah. nothing will be cheaper than now. That's for sure. It's okay. Doesn't hurt my company. We're okay. We're just making babies in the pandemic. Yeah. Hey guys, Isabel Ravoche for Rebel News. I'm here on the boardwalk in Toronto, Ontario. It's a beautiful Saturday, there's tons of people out. Today I wanna go around and ask people what they think of the rising cost of living these days. How food and gas is just so expensive. Here is a chart from Statistics Canada showing the rise of inflation from July 2021 and onwards. You can see that it's risen drastically and if this trend continues, it will no longer be possible to live affordably in Canada. You'll forgive me if I don't think about monetary policy. I want to know how Canadians are handling this inflation and if they are concerned about the future economy. 